0: Leadership File on Premier. So, welcome to the Leadership File, bringing you conversations with leaders and experts on leadership themes. I'm Andy Peck, uh, your host. Uh, And as uh, COVID 19 hit the world, many of us have gone into lockdown, directed, of course, by the Wise Council of our nation's leaders. Uh, But thankfully, there are Christians in charities such as Samaritan's Purse who've not gone into retreat, but advanced towards the trouble to provide relief and support uh, to those most affected. And I'm delighted to be joined on the Leadership File by Darren Tosh, who's the Executive Director of Samaritan's Purse UK. He's based in uh, North London. So welcome, Darren, to the Leadership File.
1: Thank you. It's great to be able to chat with you today.
0: Um, So your journey into uh, Samaritan's Purse, first of all,
1: well, I've, I've been with the organization for 20 years now, which is amazing. This has um, essentially been my professional life. I, um, however, I didn't necessarily have the most um, stellar start with the organization. I, I, I simply applied into the organization and was quite bluntly told by the HR team that I had nothing to offer. And so (laughs) my initial uh, entry into the organization was a rejection letter. What a Um,
0: wonderful story. (laughs) Sad sad story. (laughs) Well,
1: I I love telling it because, um, you know, it really represents, uh, you know, a story of, you know, don't necessarily take no as an answer Mm -hmm. the first time and really take a look at what you do need to do to change both your your own portfolio and your skill set and uh, so that things might work out. So here I am 20 years later, uh, I'm now leading the, the UK office, and um, having all started really actually from a rejection letter, but um, through some professional development and recognizing that I didn't maybe have the right skill set to begin with, um, I, I re-entered the organization shortly thereafter, that first rejection. and. Uh, really worked my way up into leadership from the 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 lowest point on on the uh, entry was was as an intern, and so I started as an intern and uh, served the organization in that capacity, and, and gradually worked my way into this role today. So it's it's been an incredible journey, and and most of it, quite honestly, has been uh, working overseas. Sure. And serving in the um, in, in the as hands and feet of the organization as we end up representing Jesus across the world, and so most of my career has really been through Asia primarily, and um, but more recently in the past few years here in the UK.
0: Sure, and you you're from uh, North America yourself.
1: Yes, I'm a Canadian. I'm a, a, grew up in rural Canada in a beautiful setting in the in the shadow of the Rocky Mountains. And uh, it was a wonderful way to be able to grow up as part of a farm family. And as I, you know, one of the things that I really encourage people as they end up getting into this line of work in particular, um, you know, farm kids are amazing because farm kids are resilient and um, they're, you know, you can travel the world over. And a farmer is a farmer no matter what country they're in, whether they're in England or in Cambodia or Brazil. Um, farming communities, uh, you know, they all have the same struggles and the same um, importance uh, placed on community and, and their neighbors and dependence on, on each other. And so as a farm kid, I uh, I think I, you know, God, God built something into me to be able to work well overseas. And that just, uh, you know, was really part of my ministry story. And so I really credit my community and my parents for for giving me that gifting and that experience at a young age that has just been so valuable over the years so it all started from yeah, a farm in uh in alberta canada and, and today now i sit in london uh, helping to lead you know a wonderful international organization
0: well, I'm not sure if poultry farming counts, but I'm a, a son of an <laughs> agriculture merchant who had a poultry farm, so <laughs> I grew up on a on a, on a semi-farm Absolutely. as well. So, <laughs> um, you know, a, a Christmas Christmas Eve shovelling uh, uh, poultry manure um, when the auger broke down is part of my histories as well. So there we go. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yes. on to more 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 sober sober matters. You of course, uh, you know, work worldwide, prevent pr- providing education and relief in countries. Uh, and especially uh, at work with COVID nineteen, I was thrilled to hear of some of the things uh, Samaritan's Purse had been involved with. M- maybe you could share some of those, and um, uh, uh, you know w- what, what you've been doing on the ground, as it were.
1: Yeah, the coronavirus pandemic has been a you know an incredible focus and ministry opportunity for Samaritan's Purse over the past few months. We, as the pandemic was beginning to expand and grow we we were luckily uh, invited by the italian government to be helping in just south of milan italy and uh, that became our initial focus as to where we could help and samaritan's purse over the years has developed some tremendous capacity um, in health programming and and one of the areas that um, really grew out of our ebola response a few years ago was the emergency field hospitals so we actually have in our warehouses a, a couple field hospitals, which are military-grade um, hospital units that we can fly into a location and set up to be able to assist. And if you remember a few months ago, you know Italy was the hot spot. Yes, indeed. Yeah. The hospital was overrun. Uh, one place in particular, a, 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 a city called Cremona, just south of Milan, was um, truly in the thick of it, and they had a 600-bed hospital with uh, over 500 of those beds were filled with coronavirus patients and they were at absolute capacity to the point actually that of those 500 coronavirus patients, 100 of them were their own team. Their own team were unable to, um, were, were in hospital and unable to work because they were needing treatment. So working with the Italian government and the World Health Organization, we deployed a 70-bed hospital to Italy and we set it up on the grounds of the Cremona Hospital and added not only bed capacity, but we added medical capacity because um, they they needed to get well themselves. So we had a team of over 100 people serving in Italy and uh, taking care of uh, over 300 patients in the end. And it was a tremendous um, blessing to that community and, and we have just packed up the the hospital just this past week and the mayor of Cremona ceremoniously thanked our team and so a number of our members are returning back to the UK as honorary citizens of Cremona because the community was truly impacted and so it was a tremendous outreach and something that um, took a a, a great deal of um, of, of risk you know our people end up having to assess the risk as they end up joining these types of programs and so we're very very blessed to have an amazing team that said that yes i want to serve yes i want to go to italy and be at the center of this and uh, it's been a tremendous opportunity for for ministry in, in italy
0: well that is an astonishing story um darren thank you very very moving um and and also New York City, um, I understand right. you were involved.
1: Yeah, we once uh, once the pandemic grew, we recognized that New York was then the next center of the pandemic. And so, as the U.S. has unfortunately experienced an explosive rate of infections and deaths, uh, we did set up another field hospital in New York. And not only in New York, it was literally in New York. New York Central Park.
0: And so uh,
1: the very first time, uh, you know, in 100 years that such a facility was ever even considered. And so right in Central Park, there's uh, an emergency field hospital that again was serving. And it was tied in with the local hospital system. And there was two hospitals in particular that asked us to increase their capacity by converting some of their reception areas into additional wards. So that program is is slowly coming to uh, closure as they start to um, not need the extra capacity, and and so in New York, I believe it was again well over 350 patients have been um, been assisted through that field hospital, and uh, a really a, a fantastic way for the Christian community and local churches in New York and Cremona to really bear witness to you know what can what are we called to as Christians to do, in, in, in these times of crisis, and so. It was a wonderful opportunity to uh, to be sharing, um, you know, God's love in that way in those two mm-hmm. cities.
0: And you've also been able to provide PPE in in the UK. We,
1: we it's been a tremendous opportunity here as we have the NHS and they've they were able to increase their capacity through the Nightingale hospitals. We took a look at what were the opportunities for service here and we said that, you know, there clearly wasn't the need for the field hospitals, but what a tremendous um, opportunity for us to be able to work with the local churches and Christian charities who are either wanting to do outreach and caring for the vulnerable and the isolated, um, but maybe don't have the equipment to do so, or to help bolster those who already were doing amazing things who just needed a bit more. So we we obviously have good supply chains into Good quality medical um, supplies, and so we chose to redirect some of those supplies here into the UK, and then distribute it out to to churches in particular, but also um, other charities. So right now we've got you know, you know 400 churches that are connected to us who have received um, both grants and um, PPE to help protect them as they minister, and it's just amazing things that are happening out there. I mean, the church is really doing some fantastic things. There's so many small communities now that have pop-up food banks. There's um, some intriguing work that's happening with, uh, you know, how do you help young people who are stuck at home? And churches are coming up with some very creative ways of doing activity packs and and, uh, connecting with single moms that might be needing extra support. And then, of course, there's our care homes that just need assistance. And it's um we love being able to support the local church to be able to reach out to those care homes and if we can equip them with proper face masks and gloves and and whatnot um it's you know it's something that we're really excited to see and we know is a blessing into those care homes as well
0: well i'm joined uh, this week by darren tosh uh, who's executive director of samaritan's purse uk based in london Uh, do um, <clears throat> continue to listen as we continue this amazing story you'll be back just after this welcome back to the leadership file with me Andy Peck I'm joined this week by Darren Tosh Darren is the executive director of Samaritan's Purse UK based in North London we talked before the break of his his journey from uh, Calgary Alberta in Canada, uh, to serve in Samaritan's Purse in various parts of the, the world. Uh, and now how he ends up in, in North London and how, how Samaritan's Purse as a, as a charity has been able to serve uh, both uh, those in Northern Italy, uh, New York City, and indeed in, within the UK. Um, Darren, I saw some footage of, of you personally speaking about Ebola. Um, and you mentioned that in your your comments about uh, the pandemic pandemic. Uh, Uh, via via Um, COVID-19. Do you think that experience has has assisted you as a charity and being able to be swift in your response?
1: Yeah, the Ebola experience from five years ago, very much, uh, you know, it it shaped, it it had an impact. You can't go through an an Ebola situation without being reshaped, I think, as an organization. So for those of you who who might not remember it, there was a tremendously... um, vicious outbreak of Ebola in West Africa and and we have uh, a field office in Liberia and Liberia was at the center of so much of that outbreak and not only were we caught in the middle of it in in terms of the ministry trying to care for those that were were impacted but some of our own staff actually caught Ebola and one of our doctors um, famously caught Ebola and there's a tremendous you know there's a tremendous story for another day about how he survived that experience but we um, we were the first organization to actually airlift an ebola patient out of west africa and we took him into the united states where he then was fully recovered and it was um, incredible. know it was it was a a time of great fear as an organization we we knew that we were called to serve in West Africa we knew that that these were our communities and our churches that we were passionately wanting to protect and care for and uh, you know one part of Samaritan's Purse is uh, uh, called World Medical Mission where we work with over 50 mission hospitals around the world and when you have that that team that is focused on medical outreach we we knew that we had to be doing more, and it and the country was at the brink of uh, medical collapse without us simply adding in more and more capacity. And so, from that experience, not only did was there the practical learning of how you end up running a, um, a field hospital and how you deal with severe quarantine conditions, and um, you gain expertise in how you handle very deadly infectious diseases. But you also learn a lot about how you end up engaging with the church, how you end up doing um, ministry in new ways, how you end up protecting your own staff. And uh, it was a very fearful time for us, but it was also a time where we saw God so much respond through our, our staff and our local church partners, and we saw God move in great ways. We were, you know we have this wonderful testimony of Dr. Brantley surviving Ebola. And it's from those um, moments of seeing God move and learning from them that we move in confidence to be able to work in Italy and New York City and around the world with coronavirus.
0: Sure. Um, and, and, Darren, as you as you reflect upon your your journey, you talked about starting as an intern and and now your executive director of Samaritans Purse UK. Um, uh, in terms of your leadership development um, I mean how, how does Samaritan's Purse develop folk? Is it, is it kind of learning on the job as as you said from experience is it do you have programs do you do you mentoring? What what are the kind of approaches that you take to, to help someone face these astonishing crisis situations?
1: I think that we, we as an organization we've certainly developed a lot over the years since I entered into the program but we I think we have developed a very wise way of bringing people in and onboarding them so that they're really, you know, with a ministry like Samaritan's Purse, where we are intentionally running into the fire, when we're intentionally moving towards disaster, you really do need to be um, wise in who you bring into the organization. And we're a very large organization, we've over 3,000 uh, employees uh, deployed. Uh, around the world so over the years the emphasis on you know really ensuring that we're hiring people and we're bringing people in who have the right calling who have an understanding that god has really called them into this type of ministry has been really important once you're in the organization we do now we have very formal training programs we have not only the internship program which is a fantastic way for you know anyone with a uh a bachelor's level degree or a college degree, they can then apply as an intern and have anything from a three month to a one year internship experience. And we, those interns are very well onboarded and prepped and then they end up serving in a variety of places around the world. And it's you know many of our best staff have come through that program. We've also more, more recently introduced an apprenticeship scheme, which is similar to what we might see in the UK. Um, for formal apprenticeships, but um, the difference is really that we end up bringing people and rotating them through a number of departments. Because as young people end up entering into ministry, they often don't really know the areas that they have their their real the, the part that gives them great joy and what God has gifted them. So we end up rotating them through not only the maybe the field offices where they're physically working and in, in water and sanitation. But we also give them opportunities within the the back end office where the project management happens, where the finance happens, where communications and IT happens. So it's uh, we certainly recognize that there's um, some of the best training, the best employees that we've had over the years have really come about through us investing quite heavily through through growing them internally. Um, that's not to say that we you know we aren't hiring fantastic people cold you know into senior level positions but it really is a, an organization that focuses on young professionals and getting them equipped for full-time lifetime ministry.
0: Yeah. And uh, some sometimes folk comment on work like yours and say well this is physical you know believement which is all, all, all very um, a, a, Leaving of physical stress, um, which is all very well, but there's you often f- miss the spiritual side. But I, but I understand, and I've I've certainly seen videos of of folk within Samaritans Purse praying with those who who they seek to serve as, and as opportunity arises, sharing something of the good news of Jesus with them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We as an organization, there's there's really no delineation or bifurcation of, of the spiritual needs from the physical needs, sure. we we holistically go into all of our, our work trying to, you know, meet the, both the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of people. And, you know, our, our mission statement is very much focused on recognizing that, the um, you know, we are there to share God's love. And we want to have uh, the local church as an active part of that we we serve the church globally by trying to partner with them you know as in every opportunity whether that's in a disaster scenario or or quite honestly our, our largest program is is all about church resourcing through operation christmas child where we partner with tens of thousands of churches on an annual basis and resource them with not only the the Operation Christmas Child Shoebox gifts at Christmas, but the discipleship program that then follows on afterwards. It's um, We we very much value our, our local church partners domestically and internationally. I know that when we, you know, one of the last disasters that I personally um, had to lead a team through was the Nepal earthquake in, in 2015. And... That was, uh, you know, we, we had a very difficult situation of, of flying into Kathmandu, Nepal, setting up a team of disaster relief specialists. But um, we were there with the church, and it was through the church that we were able to help over 200,000 people receive shelter materials. And it was only because of the church that we could do that. When you think of some of these countries, you know, like Nepal or, or uh, the DRC Congo, um, you need the local church because they're the ones who are able to access um, the areas that truly are in immense need. when um, when an earthquake hits or, or a hurricane um, strikes, you you lose access, you lose logistics, but the church is always so well positioned to be able to care for their neighbors. And so Samaritan's purse is as a very, very deep commitment to being able to share the gospel and to equip the local church to um, really represent. Jesus in every opportunity that they have.
0: And uh, time's almost defeated us, uh, Darren, but 2020 sees Samaritan's Purse celebrate its 50th anniversary.
1: Yes, yeah, it's amazing. It's uh, an organization that is still, um, you know, evolving and growing tremendously, but uh, Dr. Bob Pierce uh, founded Samaritan's Purse and who also founded World Vision uh, started the organization 50 years ago and here we are today with offices in, in Germany and the UK, Canada, Australia and the US, and then field offices across 19 other locations. So it's, um, it continues to grow and God continues to use us in great ways. And, and we're thankful that uh, our donors and church supporters have been able to help us grow over the years and serve. We, we're excited to see what will be happening next. We keep watching what will happen with the coronavirus pandemic and seeing if there might be further deployments of the field hospitals. But um, we, uh, you know, as an organization, we just, we wait on really God's prompting and uh, Mm. we're not, we're never too sure what he's going to be calling us into, but I'm sure that the next, next few years will be very exciting.
0: Sure. And Darren, well, it's great, great that you're in North London now. Are you here for a fixed term? Is it, is it open-ended?
1: This is home. Yeah, this is home now. So uh, we, uh, we're doing our best as Canadians to establish ourselves here and, and thoroughly enjoying Uh, living in England, and I I must admit that I love the fact that we don't have those harsh Canadian winters anymore, and it's great (laughs) to be here now.
0: That's nice, fabulous. Well, uh, some Canadians I speak to say they feel more British than they, than they feel American. I don't know. I don't want to insult any Americans listening, but um, I don't know if you feel that sense of affinity or not. But uh, there we go.
1: It's amazing. We didn't realize that how many, how much our British heritage. Yeah, because I, I'm actually was able to arrive into the UK quite easily because my grandfather is Scottish.
0: Okay. And
1: I didn't realize how much my family actually carried all of those traditions into our lives in Canada until I came here. Yeah. So it's been uh, it's been actually a really pleasant and wonderful transition. Oh, wonderful. Um, coming back. Yeah.
0: Well, you. Darren has been, you know, I, as an interviewer I haven't been able to kind of gasp all the time as I've been listening to some of the things you've been sharing, but it's been very moving uh, to hear that both the numbers and the volume and the and the the, the charity charitable Attitude of your staff towards some of these crises. So, thank you so much. And I think uh, many many on my behalf would want to say thank you that you, you're you standing for Christ in some of these tough places. Thank
1: you, Andy. It's been great talking to you.
0: So, you've been listening to the Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I was joined this week by Darren Tosh. He's the Executive Director of Samaritan's Purse UK, based in North London. You can, of course, listen again uh, online uh, via the Premier's website or go to Uh, itunes or podbeam wherever you get your podcasts and listen to other shows just like this one Uh, it's been a joy to have you along Uh, do join us again uh, next sunday at four o'clock and uh, the words of the apostle paul as we close and god is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times having all that you need